0: Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by HealthDay. Conference coverage of the American Society of Clinical Oncology's ASCO 45th Annual Meeting, which took place May 29th through June 2nd, 2009
1: in Orlando, Florida. More than 30,000 people from around the world attended this year's meeting, whose theme was personalizing cancer care reach MD spoke to incoming ASCO president of the American Society of Clinical Oncologists, Dr. Douglas W. Blaney. Dr. Blaney is medical director of the University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center. He spoke with reach MD about some of the meeting's highlights. More than 4,000 abstracts on cancer prevention, treatment, and care were presented at the meeting. Among the research presented in the plenary session was a study following the CA-125 blood test in monitoring for ovarian cancer recurrence. Dr. Blaney summarizes.
2: So this was women who had ovary cancer, were treated primarily, typically put into remission, and then were randomized. Some had every three months CA-125 follow-up that was known to their doctors, and some had the same blood drawn, but the doctors and the patients were blinded to the result. Treatment was initiated when either the CA-125 started to rise or the patient developed symptoms. This study took nine years to accrue. It was done outside the U.S. and showed that CA-125 monitoring did not influence the survival of the women with known ovary cancer who had treatment based on the CA-125 or who had treatment based on symptoms. The discussant, who was Beth Carlin, a GYN oncologist from Los Angeles, endorsed the study's findings that basically CA-125 monitoring should not be part of the routine practice, but uh, patients should be closely in touch with their physicians and should be monitored for symptoms and investigations done
0: appropriately. Several advances in the treatment of malignant melanoma were presented, including a new targeted agent designed to strike a specific gene mutation commonly occurring in melanoma, a mutation of the BRAF gene called V600E. Investigators at Vanderbilt University looked at the effects of PLX4032, an oral selective inhibitor of the V600E mutation, in 49 patients with advanced melanoma and 5 patients with advanced thyroid, rectal, and ovarian cancers. Tumor regression was observed in 5 out of 7 patients with melanomas positive for V600E mutation. Investigators also reported tumor regression in 2 out of 4 patients with unknown V600E status. Among the thyroid cancer patients, tumor regression occurred in 3 patients with V600E. There was a 4-14 to month follow-up period, after which time all the patients who had shown tumor regression were observed to be
1: progression-free. Financial disclosure for the study was made for Roque. Several studies were presented at the conference focusing on the treatment of gastrointestinal cancers. One examined comparative treatment regimens in patients with stage 2 and 3 colorectal cancer. Dr. Blaney discusses this research.
2: It was the NSABP-C08 trial, which randomized patients to six months of chemotherapy or six months of chemotherapy plus a, a year of bevacizumab. So patients got bevacizumab or Avastin in concert with the six months of chemotherapy and then went on to uh, six months of additional Avastin. When they looked at this large adjuvant colon cancer trial, it turned out uh, patients who received Avastin or Bevacizumab and patients who did not had equal survival at the three-year point and had equal disease-free survival at the three-year point. There was some suggestion that the patients who had bevacizumab had fewer recurrences during the year they were treated with the drug, and this led to some speculation that patients weren't treated long enough that perhaps some anti-angiogenic therapy should go on forever, or for longer anyway than a year, but that was not borne out by the study results.
1: Another study looked at patients with synchronous stage 4 colorectal cancer receiving combination chemotherapy without surgery as initial treatment. Researchers at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center sought to find out whether routine prophylactic resection of primary tumors was beneficial for patients with metastatic disease in the absence of obstruction or hemorrhaging. Using a prospective institutional database, the researchers identified 233 patients, 93% of whom never required surgical palliation for their primary tumor, and 89% who never required any direct symptomatic management of their tumor. 4% required non operative intervention, such as a stent or radiotherapy, and 7% required emergent surgery for an obstruction or perforation. Neither the use of bevacizumab, location of the primary tumor, or metastatic disease burden were associated with an increased rate of surgical intervention. The investigators concluded that these findings support the use of chemotherapy without prophylactic resection in patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. Another noteworthy session
0: introduced a class of drugs that studies suggest may become important in the treatment of cancer, PARP inhibitors. Dr. Blaney explains how these new drugs work.
2: PARP is a drug that cells and cancer cells use to repair double-stranded DNA breaks.
0: This includes damage caused by chemotherapy. PARP inhibitors were studied in women with triple-negative breast cancer who were refractory to first- and second-line chemotherapy.
2: That's not an unusual situation. Many women with triple-negative, that's uh, ERPR-negative and HER2-negative breast cancer, when it recurs, they often are refractory to chemotherapy. The study that was reported was a randomized phase two study with about 130 patients in each arm, and it turned out the arm that got gemcitabine, carboplatin, and the PARP inhibitor did about three times uh, longer uh, disease-free survival as patients who had the same chemotherapy without the PARP inhibitor. So this was, I think, a a very promising breakthrough. This was a nice demonstration of a new class of treatments that I think are
0: important. Financial disclosure pertaining to the study was made for BIPAR Sciences, Incorporated.
1: Another noteworthy study looked at the accuracy of prostate-specific antigen, or PSA, in screening for prostate cancer. Researchers at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute compared the standard PSA test with a six-gene blood panel. Investigators began with 392 genes associated with cancer, inflammation, and the epidermal growth factor receptor. The researchers studied 76 men with prostate cancer, or benign prostatic hypertrophy, and 76 healthy controls. In these groups of men, researchers found six genes significantly associated with prostate cancer. A second cohort of 128 men with cancer and 94 healthy controls validated the finding. In this group, the six-gene test correctly identified about 85% of the men who had prostate cancer, while the PSA test identified about 69%. Conversely, the six-gene test had a lower specificity of 83% compared to the PSA test with a specificity of 93%. When used in combination, these two tests yielded greater sensitivity and specificity than the PSA testing alone. Investigators say if these findings are verified, The ability to more accurately detect prostate cancer could help prevent thousands of unnecessary prostate biopsies. There were several studies presented
0: relating to the meeting's theme of personalized care. One such study was on a patient-specific therapeutic vaccine called BioVax ID, a cancer vaccine created using the patient's own cancer cells. In Phase three clinical trials, BioVax ID was shown to prolong disease-free survival of follicular lymphoma, delaying relapse by 14 months. Dr. Blaney describes the study.
2: It showed that a vaccine that was taken from a patient customized to that patient's lymphoma in a central laboratory and then if the patient received chemotherapy obtained a complete remission and had all signs of disease go away the patients who got the vaccine had a slightly better disease free survival but it, even though it was slightly better it was uh, significant statistically there have been three vaccine trials in follicular lymphoma the other two have been negative and the new the current one is is probably positive because the patients who received vaccine were treated to complete remission. If patients didn't get complete remission, then they did not get the vaccine, even though one had been made for them. So I think this tells us that if these immunotherapy or the vaccine therapies are likely to be effective, the smaller the tumor volume that patients have when they receive these vaccine, the better uh, their response or their results will be.
1: In the field of lung cancer treatment, research in patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer showed prolonged survival with new drugs and drug combinations. Dr. Blaney explains.
2: There were a couple of studies that looked at the mutations in the EGFR. EGFR, Epidermal Growth Factor Receptor, is a class of receptors to which HER2 belongs. But anyway, the EGFR receptor looks to be, when it's mutated, those are the people who are not likely to respond to chemotherapy, to uh, EGFR uh, treatment or an EGFR inhibitor. There were other studies that looked at Lymta, which is pemetrexin, at maintenance, or in other words, after patients had received the maximum benefit, with, again, patients with stage 4 lung cancer or metastatic lung cancer had received the maximum benefit from chemotherapy, then some were randomized to get pemetrexed and others uh, standard therapy, which is not any maintenance, and the pemetrexed uh, group did better. So I think we came to ASCO knowing about four kinds of lung cancer. Now we have a fifth kind. We have EGFR mutated and EGFR non-mutated, which should be treated differently. And we've also got some uh, promising information potentially on the use of maintenance therapy for patients with lung cancer.
0: In colon cancer detection, a new genomic test, the Oncotype DX colon assay, has been shown to accurately predict the risk of recurrence in patients with stage 2 colon cancer. Four development studies were conducted in which researchers analyzed over 750 genes from almost 2,000 patients with stage 2 colon cancer. Eighteen genes associated with colon cancer were identified, including seven prognostic, six predictive, and five reference genes. A subsequent evaluation study was done with about 1,400 patients. According to researchers, having this well-validated molecular signature to predict risk of colon cancer recurrence will significantly impact the way colon cancer patients are treated and will help
1: physicians select the right treatment for the right patient at the right time. A randomized multi-site double-blind placebo-controlled study examined the efficacy of ginger for nausea relief in patients undergoing chemotherapy. Up to 70% of patients receiving chemotherapy still report often severe nausea and vomiting, despite the widespread use of antiemetics. Investigators gave 644 patients an anti-vomiting drug and either ginger capsules or a placebo. Patients were asked to report their level of nausea on a scale of 1 to 7, 1 being not nauseated at all and 7 being extremely nauseated. Those who received the placebo reported virtually no difference in their nausea. While ginger at almost any dose seemed to significantly reduce nausea.
0: Finally, there was breaking research on quality of care for patients with cancer. Dr. Blaney reports on several studies related to quality of care.
2: We had several studies, or at least one study that was a survey of medical oncologists and other doctors taking care of cancer patients. It turned out medical oncologists discussed fertility with their patients more often and GPs and surgeons and other participants in the study, uh, but it's nowhere near 100%. As there are more options available for young men and young women who are receiving cancer treatment for fertility preservation, it's important that we at least start to discuss fertility preservation with our patients who may want to become parents, actually. The second had to do with a long-term follow-up of pediatric cancer survivors. One suggested that post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, happened about five times more often in pediatric cancer survivors than matched sibling controls. Another looked at the surveillance recommendations for long-term cancer survivors. We know that young women who get breast radiation or who get radiation that includes the breast for treatment of Hodgkin's disease or other lymphoma, for instance, and also who may get pelvic radiation for treatment of a, a pelvic cancer or, or a retroperitoneal cancer are at risk for colon cancer. And there are surveillance recommendations that are available developed by the pediatricians, and these were not followed quite as much as of a normal patients, uh, normal people, or sibling control. So this was a um, a wake-up call to those of us who are those doctors, whether they're oncologists or not, who follow pediatric cancer survivors.
0: Additionally, the American Society of Clinical Oncology has announced its new Quality Oncology Practice Initiative Certification Program. The program is designed to help practices demonstrate to patients and payers their commitment to delivering high-quality cancer care. Qualifying practices will collect abstract data from medical charts twice a year and enter it into a secure database, which ASCO will analyze for adherence to more than 80 evidence-based and consensus quality measures. Thank you for listening to Conference Coverage Highlights from the American Society of Clinical Oncology, ASCO's 45th annual meeting, which took place in Orlando on May 29 through June 2, 2009. Conference Coverage Highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com and powered by HealthDay.